Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Your government's issued his house discussion. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to a perfectly normal sounding episode of Horror Vanguard. I am your co-ghost Ash, joined as always by It's John. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Good, good. I'm I am alive. Uh, also known as the Lit Crit Guy. Uh, it's good to be talking with you again. Uh, it has been a little while, but we are making it work. We are conquering the 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 technical gremlins, and we are we are back to talk about horror movies. It uh just just right off the bat, I might sound a little strange today, and it's because I have been uh. Uh, imprisoned in a nightmare dimension uh, thanks to some teens who read a cursed book. Um, definitely not my cat knocking my recording setup off of the desk and breaking everything. 100% um, cursed book related. I mean, that's that's what everyone should assume first about yes, you. Yes, yes, yeah. It's, it's def definitely my cat wasn't being just a total dork. Uh, it's it's much more likely if you think about it that Ash would be imprisoned inside a cursed by a cursed book, but you know sometimes sometimes cats can also be mischievous and can damage our technical technical equipment. <laughs> but that being said, you know we're, we're we're still here. We're still ready to to uh, record some some spicy hot takes about contemporary horror cinema. But first, just a quick word from our sponsors. This program was made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Go to patreon.com slash horrorvanguard and get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive content. Thank you. You'll forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with freaky stuff. Yes, yes, and we, we thank you uh for for supporting us uh really makes our rock and world go round over here <laughs> let's talk about a horror movie let's talk about uh remy weeks uh his house a big impressive debut horror film from a young british filmmaker um did really well at the baftas did really well at the independent film awards um you may have seen it on netflix but if not um you know, we, we always like to open the show with a very kind of, very, very sort of factual, very straightforward discussion. Just of, strictly of what accurate. The, yeah. <laughs> back of the box stuff just to get everyone up to speed. Um, so, uh, my dear friend, Ash, his house, directed by Remy Weeks, what is it all about? The fears that linger the longest make use of how our lives are not broken at singular points, but rather ground away through striations of pain. The sharp pangs may be felt, and often are, with great clarity, but it's the gnawing over the days, the months, the years, that can break the will. The sad truth is that this gnawing started generations before we were ever born. Its teeth were in our bones before we were ever alive enough to feel the wound. It's a miasma with fangs that lives in and infuses the very places we would take as sanctuary. One of the most creeping, unsettling, and alienating truths about the human condition 
is that it is community that turns a house into a home. Community can end the cycle of trauma. Community alone can do the healing that needs to be done. Alone we are cast into mercurial seas with only a chance for a life raft that, in time, becomes mistaken for a virtue. There's a violence in the background of this movie. The raspy voice of the downtrodden, the misled, those whose lives are little more than grease in the gears of a system designed to, first and foremost, cause human suffering. It is up to us to put to rest the wraiths that drive nails through our bones. For if we do not, our children may not be around to attempt the task. Join us as we discuss his house. Incredible. As, as, as always. What a what a great introduction to this film. Honestly, I that I really really love that that little pricey that you wrote, um, and I think it highlights something that I was hoping we would get onto, which is that, um, in many ways, this is a kind of very contemporary horror film. But in in many ways, and I don't mean this as anything but praise, it's a very traditional haunted house story, and it ties into a very long, generic and literary history. Yes. Um, yes. Even it's though, de- even though it's it's dealing with very contemporary kind of social issues, we could probably kind of classify this as as contemporary social horror, in that it's explicitly grounded in social realities. That even though uh, that's been a, a trend in horror, it's had a little bit of a kind of resurgence in popularity lately. Um, where do you want to start? Well, I think that's a, I think that's a good point to uh, start on and get us talking about some formalist issues with this movie. Um, and just by issues, I mean issues. And I realized that that sounded negative, um, but I literally don't have anything bad to say about this film. Um, so when I said issues there, I meant that as kind of like a platonic issues, like technical things to discuss. <laughs> yeah. But I think the haunted house thing is a really good point because like this is, and again, like I only mean this as praise. This is a classic Gothic story. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like this is so deeply woven into the history of the haunted house like this this follows the haunted house beat by beat but takes some exciting and interesting new spins on the formula right because the the kind of bog standard gothic haunted house formula um is pretty much the same as this movie right we have we have two people who travel to a new home in a new community that home is kind of run down there's a lot of mystery there's a lot of social tension in the environment and of course it's haunted by something yeah but the the spice here that really just makes the magic work is that these two people are South Sudanese refugees mm-hmm. and not like someone who just got a letter from their rich uncle or two two children who are being sent off to a house in the countryside during the Great War or something. Yeah. And if we're, we're talking about the kind of formal elements of the film, it's an incredibly tight cast. Yeah. Um, it, it is easily one of the most exciting debuts by a British filmmaker for a very long time. Yes, um, like Remy Weeks is 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 absolutely someone good. to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, uh, he, he he's got skills. We we should we should be keeping out for what whatever whatever Remy Weeks decides to make next. Um, I'm very excited for it. The performance. I mean, if it's even great, yes, if it's even half as good as this, it's going to be incredible. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we were talking outstanding we... use of Matt Smith. I, I, yeah, I just want yeah to say. we were we were just talking about this before we started recording. Yeah, maybe the best thing Matt Smith has done in a long time. I was so worried when I saw him on on the cast for this 
Because I was like, oh man, he's gonna Doctor Who this up. He's he's too big of a name. He's just gonna like he's he, he's his presence is going to be overstated and uncontrolled but like he 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 so he played matt smith plays the role of like a uh kind of like a, a a pawn in the british government just like a middleman who who is helping to organize refugees into their housing before like they're you know like when they're being settled and as they're like you know being brought in and stuff like that but he he plays the role of just kind of like an agent of a white supremacist state who's kind of unaware of what he is in his actual position so well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he it would have been so easy to make him into a kind of pantomime villain, mm-hmm. and I think what's so great about the, his performance and the, the way that it's written and the interactions between uh, the lead pair a pair is that it shows that actually. The British state is an absolute nightmare for um, asylum seekers and other immigrants into into this country, um, but it's it's staffed by you know ordinary people. I mean, he's 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 a kind of bureaucratic cog in a machine that makes yeah. you into a tool of its own use. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great. It, like as I say, the performances and direction are all are all just like just impeccable and it's so yeah. well judged and, and his character mark uh has the gravitas of like an assistant manager at a grocery store you know like <laughs> like he has he is like when he's interacting with real and bowl are a couple um, who are refugees from south sudan yeah and when mark is interacting with them he's like treating their circumstance the same way that somebody would be like maybe returning a moldy loaf of bread to the grocery store it's that same like cadence and it's just like it's he's so like i was so shocked to see doctor who pull in enough restraint in his character to like really nail like the the bureaucratic cog who like doesn't even know how horrible and racist he's being yeah like like just just the level of subtlety that matt smith does here i think would just worth highlighting that you know it's a minor part of the movie as a whole but uh, was surprised. <laughs> um, yeah, there's 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 so many kind of nuances and just like little subtle things. You know, there's there's it's it's very restrained in how it kind of builds everything. Um, I thought the sound design in particular was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's the really telling detail where um, where Bol tells um, Rial that they'll use the table. They're not going to sit on the floor because that's what you do in South Sudan. You, you sit on the floor and you eat with um, eat with your hands or with bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, you have to you have to become one of them if you if you've moved. And so it's just full of like tiny little details like that, which make the whole thing really kind of. It feels real, you know. It feels yeah. it feels it feels real rather than a, a kind of escapist film. Yeah, uh, uh, Wanmi uh, Masu, Ma- Masaku and uh, Sope Dirisu, uh, who play uh, Rial and Bull, respectively, like just the subtlety in there. Like this, 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 like a proper gothic ghost story, like a proper gothic haunted house. It's subtlety that's driving this thing. Yeah, it's it's the uh, the understatement of how haunting it is. Like you barely need the witch ghost to make this movie work. You know, like if it would have been just a a 
non-supernatural gothic story of, of just two people in this dark circumstance surviving together, it would have been just incredible. And just, just like the, the, the witch ghost is the icing on my cake here. Yeah. Like, like I am just, yeah, blown away. Also, uh, 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 Javier Bote uh, is one of the actors who plays, uh, like, the, the ghost witch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which which is great. Uh, you know, one of, one of the most fantastic, you know, monster actors out there right now. So good to see. Oh, yeah. Absolutely nails this performance. The, the ending is uh, just very viscerally satisfying. Yeah. Uh, uh, the final confrontation. It's it's so good. Okay, enough, enough, enough en- gushing. Enough formalism. <laughs> enough formalist <laughs> gushing about the quality of the filmmaking. Let us get into the discourse. Oh, the color grading was also really good. I'm sorry, I just have to talk about color for a second. Yes, no, nope, like, completely uh, agree. If you've if you've never been to England, it's like eighty percent the uh, gray curtain of sorrow and then the sun shows up occasionally um when it when it has the time the sun appears and like this this movie really like leans into that you know and it leans into like that dramatic shift in color from a couple of our opening scenes are um real and bowl um you know, like fleeing from South Sudan, right? And it's it's a it's a very a lot of those scenes are very bright. They're very colorful, despite like the 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 trauma and how rushed they are. And then they 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 get to the UK, and it's like, you know, like Real Real's almost excited, almost relieved, but then the a whole world around him is like, everything is subdued colors. Everything yep. is gray. All of the lights are dim. You know, it is it is just like this master. It's it's almost like um, it reminds me a lot of Guillermo del Toro's use of color. Right. Yeah. It, is, it is just like so subtle and so clever to just be like, like extinguishing the little light of hope right there at the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's that's what living in England is like. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So would you like to enter our uh, government issued discourse house? I, you know, I think we should. I think we should. This is this is the, the discourse house that we've been given. Uh, it's almost certainly not in London or the southeast. Um, oh, it is one hundred percent not on the edge of London. There's nowhere that 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 this house would be located in. Uh, you know, like one of the key seats of empire. Uh, where, 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 where would you like to start? Um, so I think I think right there, right. I think I think there's a lot of groundwork um, for for his house and and in a, in a discussion about this movie. And I think like we have to talk about empire, refugees, and colonialism. Completely. Um. And I think to 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 start uh, uh, to start, we have to talk about what is Africa. That is a key part of this movie. <laughs> and I think we should start with like the the idea of like new imperialism and the quote unquote scramble for Africa. Uh, yes, because for a very long time, um, uh, Sudan was uh, part of the British uh, colonial projects. It was a uh, territory that was that was uh, ruled over and controlled by the by the british and by egypt yes uh, but which is just another way for saying it was part of the anglo empire um yes uh so, so basically new imperialism is in, in the 19th century um european powers uh were were running out of colonialisms to do uh and then they decided that it was time for africa to get colonized 
uh, and that that is the quote unquote scramble for Africa, right? It's the European powers doing uh, evil genocide empire shit uh, throughout an entire continent. Um, and around that time, so Egypt had uh, taken over Sudan, which at the time was a single country. Um, but uh, Egypt was also kind of falling apart right around the, these events. Uh, and then Britain uh, decided to, that that was an opportunity for them. And then we have the Anglo-British rule of Sudan. Um, this kind of like leads us to a conflict that lasts for an incredibly long time, which uh, culminates extremely recently in the creation of South Sudan. Yeah, back um, in, but, in 2011, there were two yes. there were two civil wars. So yeah. Sudanese independence was was signed in 1956, mm-hmm. uh, and then almost pretty much straight away up until about the 70s, uh, there was the the first Sudanese civil war. Then in yep. the uh, then from the 80s onwards, there was another civil war. Um, you know, millions of people died, millions of people displaced. Yeah, and I think it was only within the last two or three years that they that a lot of these parties, because they're still fighting, and they, they agreed to uh, a very hesitant ceasefire. Yeah, and like it, it was it was the Anglo um, Egyptian British rule that instantiated the current Sudanese borders. You know, and like this is this is this is such an important kind of like groundwork we're, we're going to get into this uh, next i think but like i think this, it's important to understand the kind of like a lot of a lot of contemporary political discourse talks as talks about africa as if it was a place that's un, quote unquote underdeveloped um but and then that creates a it, an impression that it's like oh well they they just never did industrialization or something and so they're just kind of behind right like that's that's what the that's what colonialism and empire want you to think um, however, the much more correct perspective is that they're overexploited, uh, that it's been uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, like like slavery to present of of European and American powers exploiting everything inside of the entire continent. Uh, that That is the source for so much of this strife and so much of this conflict and so much of this suffering. Yeah, if, if if people would like a, a kind of good way of understanding this, um, Alexander Zavin has published a a intellectual biography of the Economist magazine, um, which is one of the longest running uh, periodicals in in the UK, and um, the Economist magazine was the magazine of liberalism, and one of the core tenets of its belief was its belief in in the imperialism of the British Empire as a liberal project. That's what to be a liberal meant. It meant to support the economic um, domination of a quarter of the known wealth and the extraction of as much wealth as possible from uh, territories that were controlled by the British, basically to the city of London, uh, to the financial centre of the empire. And that was done in the name of of a kind of bourgeois capitalist liberalism, um, the... the, uh, uh, exploitation of, of so much of uh, Africa was not done out of anything other than a desire to line the coffers of, of of large banking institutions in the city of London. And defending empire was a matter of defending uh, Anglo economic interest. That that that's entirely what it's about. That's entirely yes. what it's about. You 100%. know, it's no coincidence that the the very first editor of the Economist magazine would later leave the editorship and go to India to set up a bank. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, 
it's mind-blowingly evil, uh, the British Empire. And the more you find out about it, the more you realize just how evil it was. We are, we are talking about, like, evil on a scale that is, like, um, almost unrecognizable. <laughs> this is generations of evil. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, but but done in 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 the in the name of 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 it, it's the, the logical endpoint of 19th century free capitalism yep. mm-hmm. is 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 domination violence uh the displacement of of millions upon millions of people the stealing of land natural resources the uh the the tacit endorsement of every kind of barbarity yep. um is is done in the name of this kind of cold rationalistic capitalist liberalism and it's important to recognize that this process is one still ongoing right like we've been talking about a lot of the historical um events that preceded uh his house and and necessarily uh caused the events of this movie um but to pivot to some contemporary film criticism that i think will shed some light onto this conversation um, writing for RogerEbert.com, Odie Henderson uh, made a surprisingly detail-free comment in his critique of the movie, um, and that's uh, the Majors, which is, uh, that's uh, Rial and Bull, our, our two uh, refugees and protagonists. Uh, the Majors are refugees from South Sudan who escaped in a tragic boating accident shown in Bull's Nightmare. Um, I'm not leveling any judgment on Odie Henderson here. Uh, this might have been also the editors at RogerEbert.com, but... Uh, Tragic boating accidents um, happen to rich fail sons who crash their dad's yachts. Yeah. Uh, Tragic boating accidents do not happen to refugees uh, fleeing the strife caused by empire. So we should should take a second to talk about the tragic boating accident uh, kind of at the heart of this movie. I mean, that's a a neat little euphemism, isn't it? That's a neat little euphemism to uh, talk about desperate people who are willing to do what must be unimaginably terrifying because they think Un- unthinkably hor- horrific and, and and brave and just like you know people phenomenal people who cross from from africa into europe uh do so on on boats which are not prepared for the um for the crossing are not equipped for the crossing um and th- thousands, thousands upon thousands of people have lost their lives, and uh, by mm-hmm. uh, trying to make that crossing, often have been left to die uh, by uh, the the governments of fortress of what what we can call fortress Europe. Yes, um, as European politics has taken an increasingly rightward turn, yes. it has become absolutely fine to leave men, women, and children to drown in the Mediterranean. And it's, um, I just want to highlight really quickly that this is intentional, by the way. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's it's not it's not that these people are like, oh, the refugees just need to get better boats, and then they can. It's it's not some like horrible right discourse like that, right? Like it is intentional, intentionally caused by Fortress Europe that they have to have the most rickety possible life rafts, and they try, like like a lot of these people literally use like inflatable rafts to try and cross seas that like you're not meant to cross on an inflatable raft, and it's just like. Like this is this is the structural foundations of empire continuing, right? Like it, it would be entirely possible to to just you know send some ferries and create a system and prevent any dangerous boat crossings from ever needing to happen, 
but that would go against colonialism that would go against empire and that is what the project that is fortress europe exists to instantiate yeah um back in back in 2017 franco barati um was asked to be part of yanis varoufakis's dm25 the the movement to restore democracy in europe and barati wrote um what i think is a really important and powerful resignation letter to say that he was no longer european because of the crimes of um, the European government in relation to migrants and refugees. Because he said that Europeans are building concentration camps on their own territory, mm -hmm. and yep. they pay their Gauleiter of Turkey, Libya, Egypt, and Israel to do the dirty job on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, where salt water has replaced Zyklon B. To stop the migratory, Euro-Nazism is going to build enormous extermination camps. The non-governmental organizations guilty of rescuing people from the sea will be contained, downsized, criminalized, and repressed. The externalization mm -hmm. of the European borders means extermination. Yep. So yeah, should, that's what perfect. we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Borders are, are, are inherently and necessarily enforced by violence. There's no other way around this. There's no other way to do it, especially in the context of colonialism and empire. Yeah. And like just to be really clear about this right like the reason why bol and rial need to flee south sudan isn't uh because south sudan is inherently a bad place to live it's because after hundreds of years of of north american and european forces uh pillaging ransacking stealing genociding and destroying everything in africa worth destroying they live in a nightmare that was caused by our governments, our cultures, our histories. And like when they flee here, <laughs> when they flee from, from the places that, that they're born to and that in which they live to the Imperial core, right? The fact that they're then turned away after making that harrowing journey in ways that like, I think what you recited there is really important. It's just literally genocidal, right? This is literally death camp shit. Yeah, like yeah. it is. It is not a tragic terrific. boating accident. Yeah, it is not a tragic boating accident. Uh, Rial and Bol did not take their dad's yacht out for a quick spin in the bay <laughs> and then hit a reef. Like, and 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 again, like I, I don't know if what what Odie Henderson's thinking was behind that particular statement. Probably not very much, but like, I, I read a lot of reviews of this movie, and a lot of the reviews. Because I was I was very curious about what other kind of film critics were going to be saying about this one, and like, it, it was really just kind of a lot of lip service to like empire and colonialism. You know, there wasn't like there there was a lot of tragic boating accident comments, and not a lot of like why why would people want to flee South Sudan to begin with? You know, the, it, like a lot of like it wasn't grounded in this like anti colonialist critique that I think is like. I mean, like, I know we're, we're half hour into this movie and so far we've talked about, like, uh, how the casting is, is pretty near flawless. The color grading was great. And and a, a brief <laughs> aside into Anglo-Egyptian rule in South Sudan. But, like, to properly contextualize and talk about this movie without digging into this, I think is, like, it's, 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 a it's you're in derelict of your duties as a film critic. <laughs> yeah, you know, we could we we should absolutely talk about the fact that um NGOs and charities uh that have tried to rescue uh people from drowning to death 
have been criminalized and fined. We should talk about the fact that mm-hmm. um, uh, governmental boats have been known to sink boats. Yes. Um, governmental boats have been known to just leave people to die in the ocean. Um, you know, this this is this is not a tragic boating accident. In fact, the whole point of this film, right, it, to, to my mind, is the the colossal guilt that both of them feel for being survivors. Yep. Like I and agree. The, the kind of heartbreaking tragedy of knowing that you made it when people who were just the same as you, and for no good reason they didn't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's you know, the, I, I've said it before that horror films are in many ways about about grief and and, and are tragic. Um, and there is this. This is another one that proves it, right? This this idea of like having to live with the pain of being the one who lived um, is extraordinarily powerful. And to reduce it down to yeah. a kind of tragic boating accident, it's ludicrous. <laughs> it's, it is it's, ludicrous, to be honest. Like <laughs> it, it is, it is offensively bad uh, film film criticism to reduce that moment. To a to a tra- my god a tragic boating accident, <laughs> mm-hmm. and again not not to single out one film critic um, at RogerEbert.com, but a lot of the commentary that I saw from from other outlets, uh, they were like, oh yeah, this is like, you know, like oh it's it's a bad thing that's happening over there without like any kind of like structural critique of what bad thing is. <laughs> yeah, things have causes. Causes that you can understand yes. materially. And it's, <laughs> Maybe you, you, there should be a mode of analysis where we look at the material reasons for something happening. And I know, I know, you, you and I are fancy lads uh, who have been trained in the ivory tower of academia, and we hold uh, graduate degrees and are uh, kept kept separate from from the the, the rabble. But you like literally, there are Wikipedia articles on this stuff. <laughs> Like you don't need, you don't need like to put in a lot of effort to learn the one hundred and one about what what's going on here. Like you can find you can find books pretty readily available on these topics. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, in addition to other topics that should make you uh, almost incandescent with rage, should we talk about the absolute racist nightmare that is UK asylum seeker policy? <laughs> oh. Oh, we should because I I read all of the home offices websites on how to seek refuge in England in preparation for this episode. Yeah, and me too. I also read the BBC's guide, and quite quite frankly, um, my my blood has has condensed into like a, a, a thick paste of anger. <laughs> yeah. Um, welcome to the fuck the home office portion <laughs> of our show. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Like this is like like to, to be honest. Before before going into this, I didn't know the process for like seeking asylum in the United Kingdom, and now that like I've read it, it's just like unimaginably bureaucratically terrible. Yeah. To to think of like trekking from like South Sudan to London. With with like and you're not you're not flying coach right to get there you know like you're like hoofing it you're you're taking like half sinking rafts across the Mediterranean right like you're going through hell and then and then you get there and you have to like start filling out forms 
Uh, and of course, um, you will be detained. Yes. Because um, this is how our film opens. They're released on bail. Have they committed any crime? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they've been detained. And, and detention centers, um, uh, we will get onto the, the, the absolute inhuman nightmare that is um, how asylum seekers are detained. They're, they're camps. Um, uh, actually... Actually, just during during um, the the uh, the height of COVID in the UK, huge numbers of asylum seekers were um, essentially locked up on military bases, mm-hmm. um, with no support, no infrastructure, no money, no way of leaving, no way of maintaining their own health. Um, there were protests, um, there were hunger strikes, um, and of course, COVID like burned through these places. Um, because these people are to the British state inconvenient. Um, the absolute abomination that is Yarlswood, uh, which for the last decade has been privately run and has been a hotbed of, of sexual abuse of vulnerable women. Um, you know, half of the people locked up there are denied legal representation. People have been going on hunger strike there every couple of years in protest of their treatment. People have died there. Um, it should be enough to embarrass every single politician who has mm-hmm. been a British Home Secretary for uh, the last 20 years. Like, the way that this uh, country treats asylum seekers is uh, genuinely disgusting and is th- the the most vulnerable people are treated as a cash cow for gigantic private corporations that have bought the right to provide these services from the state, which is interested only in having them be provided as cheaply as possible. Yeah. So, so people who need the most support are actually left in the most vulnerable and and at risk situations to line the pockets of private companies because the state believes that it is not their job or responsibility to care about them. And if you're listening from the United States of America and that uh, description sounded eerily familiar, it's because it should. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or Australia, or any of a number of places that, that are woven into European empire. Yeah, and woven into the neoliberal consensus, which sees its yeah. political function as minimizing the capabilities of the state mm-hmm. and selling off the state's functions to private companies. Absolutely. But so, so in my in my reading about uh, the the refugee process and how refugees are treated and what they're given, because one of one of the uh, conservative talking points about refugees, whether you're in the UK or the United States, is that like, oh, these people are, are going to come to our country and then they're going to take our jobs and they're going to start sucking up government resources that should be going to the British or Americans. Um, they're going to take housing that should be going to the British or Americans. However. <laughs> Um, refugees are not allowed to work. Uh, they, they cannot hold employment, um, and they're given they're given an allowance, and that that allowance comes out to thirty seven point seven five pounds per week. Yeah, like uh, for every for everybody who uses Uncle Sam's Freedom Monopoly money, that's about sixty bucks, give or take. Yeah, so you get five you get five pounds a day to keep yourself. Fed, clothed, clean, uh, and 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 walking around. You're not. You are not allowed a job. Uh, mm-hmm. You're you're almost certainly not given cash. You'll be given a, a debit card. Yep. Um, if you are in a poor poorer neighbourhood, you won't be able to get your cash out for free. One of the big problems in a lot of deprived areas of the UK 
is that cash machines will charge you money. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have if you have thirty seven pounds for a week, uh, and cash machine charges you two pounds to get money out of it, that's that's an enormous expense. That leaves you three pounds for that day to buy food for three meals. Yeah, and, and just like imagine, like like seriously, like think about going to your local grocery store, and you've got just shy of sixty bucks for a week. And this is this is for literally all of your expenses, you know, or like like thir- thirty seven pounds, and like that is an unfathomably low amount of money. And like this is like this is like literally everything. It's not it's not like you get thirty five pounds for food, and then like they're gonna bring you clothes, and they'll bring you some DVDs to watch or something. Like this is thirty five pounds for literally every single possible expense you could encounter. And you, if you are lucky enough to make it to the UK, and let's say you know you you have family, you have a kind of mm-hmm. distant cousin, you have an uncle, you have no choice about where you live. If you're lucky enough to be released from detention, you will almost certainly be sent a very long way away from them and from anyone else you know. Um, you will be, uh, you know, you won't have any kind of social support network that that isn't provided by a charity or a religious organization yeah. or an N- or an NGO. Um, and you're told that the house that they give you is not really yours uh, because it can be taken away from you mm-hmm. at any, at any moment um, for any, any kind of small infraction of the rules. And that, that state of affairs for, uh, as the, the uh, gov.uk website puts it, a straightforward case oh God. will usually be decided in about six months. Uh, and if anyone has had to um, to leave their home because of, of civil war, of instability, or the threat of death, and has risked and probably uh, necessarily broken the law in order to get to the UK, th- their case is not straightforward. It's, so you I was going to say it's literally impossible for these cases to be straightforward. Yeah, so you you you'll be living on on thirty seven pounds a week on on five pounds a day for what uh, six months, eight months, a year, eighteen months. And you will not be allowed. You are legally barred from any kind of employment. It's beyond, beyond fucking criminal. Beyond completely. Oh my god! Like this is just, yeah. The, 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 this creates such. And, and they touch on a few of these things in the movie, right? Like uh, Matt Smith's character, Mark rattles off a list of rules like things they can't do with their new home and it's like it's 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 the it's the most like socially acidic landlord stuff you know woven into colonialism no parties no singing no loud music no candles no friends over no family over like like just this incredibly poisonous list of rules that that you know, under 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 the guise of neoliberalism, oh, those rules are there to protect the property, right? It's 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 no no candles and parties because those damage the home, you know. But like, oh no, that's 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 really there because it's a way to punish these refugees even further for daring to try and escape a problem that the British Empire caused in the first place. Yeah. My 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 favorite my favorite note that we have in our notes document is close down Yarlswood. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's the big takeaway of this film. Uh close down Yarlswood uh, and every other detention center and basically put uh every every British home secretary 
for as long as I can remember on trial. Yeah. I mean, that's that's accurate. But putting that to one's like given given that we are essentially dealing with a haunted house story, right? The, yes. And you know, it's it's this is a very kind of classic story in lots of ways, but it it, it subverts and it updates quite a lot of the standard structure and format of of the haunted house story in ways which I think are interesting. So should we talk about should we talk about the house? Should we talk about the house that they get? about housing generally in horror? I, I, I think so. Like, I think this is, we, we've had a necessary kind of a structural conversation here about like the, the historical and present social and material conditions that undergird his house uh, because they've been so, so dismissed by a lot of more mainstream criticism. Yeah. But uh, we, we are ostensibly a horror movie podcast, so we should talk about the fact that this movie has a ghost witch. Uh, yes, we should. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, let's uh, let's let's talk about um, uh, uh, spoopy houses. I what I, so what I think is really interesting is that essentially the the kind of classic structure is you are given a house, and within the house there is something there is a kind of historical issue, right? There's a mm-hmm. there's a bod- there's a body beneath the floorboards, um, but the ghost is within the house. And the the ghost is a function of the house's history, right? Um, in this, and this is actually something that happens quite a lot in what we could call suburban horror, there is no history in the house, right? The, the ghost is what you bring with you. So the ghost is something that's carried into the home rather than something that's already present mm-hmm. within the home. Uh, and And it's not because there's a kind of historical problem uh, or within the house, it's because there is a kind of personal problem. There's a kind of personal trauma that has to be dealt with. So I think it's a neat kind of subversion. And and we've talked about this before, that the suburbs basically are an erasure of history. Um, so obviously, an, an ex-council house isn't going to have a ghost in it because, well, there are no, there's no such thing as society anymore. Uh, <laughs> so Thanks, you Margaret. Don't have, you don't have the historical continuity that would necessarily produce the ghost but what you have is you have kind of massive systemic traumas that are inflicted upon us in the present that are the 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 ghost is the kind of symptom and wider reflection of you know what what is it one of the i think it's um uh uh real says you know you think you think ghosts would scare me when when i've seen what men can do Mm -hmm. um so ghosts are not really the problem the problem is the kind of systemic horror that you've already been through that you've brought with you into the house right yeah absolutely <clears throat> I, I think that's like this is this is part and parcel with everything we've been talking about too because like a, a huge part of this is alienation yeah. right and, and the the intentional erasure of the long memory you know like a lot of these suburban, exurban locations and the ghost stories that kind of get brought to them, uh, part part of the bringing of these ghosts is the fact that these are ghosts that we've been intentionally made to forget. You know, like I, I'm think, thinking back to our conversation on Halloween and like we like like in America, we tend to treat suburban environments as if they're fresh and new and there's not like history there. It's like, oh, this 
the, this suburban neighborhood was built in the, the 1960s or something. And so like, you know, there's maybe only been one generation that's ever lived in it. But that is the implicit erasure of the genocide of the indigenous peoples that lived there beforehand. You know, like, like not to shift this to the American context too much, but there's this like a lot of people the world over talk about America as if this there's not history here. You know, America's only like 200 years old. You know, there's no, there's nothing old here, right? As compared to the to Europe, which is ancient and historic, but that's that's not that's not true. We just, uh, you know, like the the government, uh, the various European empires who colonized this land, uh, systemically erased the history that was here before. And I, I think what's what's really telling about um, the movie that we watched today is that like one one of kind of like one of the scenes that was really frightening um for me to watch was right at the beginning of the of the movie where i think it's real's character is looking outside the kitchen window right after mark takes them to to their government issued housing um and she like looks out the window and there's like a bunch of like lads running down the street kind of like being rowdy and like jumping around each other and being playful right and like there there's such implicit violence in there for her because it's like this other culture and like if you're kind of like aware of the news in the uk right like it, it wouldn't be uncommon for like a group like that to attack some refugees or something you know like like so there's like this subtle implied threat but part of the reason yeah. that exists is because we're made to forget like and or in some respects never even learn you know, like, like literally why these people are having to seek refuge. Like what is empire? What is colonialism? What is our government and our culture's role and responsibility in these issues? And so like, there, there's, there's that layer to this haunting as well, right? These, these, these places aren't as much free from these ghosts as these ghosts have been like forced to be silent. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a, that's, that's a really important point. And actually you know, the final ending shots where uh, the two of them are sort of surrounded and they, mm -hmm. they've chosen they've chosen to live with the ghosts and to live in kind of conscious awareness of them. Um, I think is I think that that reading makes that ending much more powerful. Oh, I loved the ending. I, I thought that ending is like it was it was like, like as someone who never shuts up about the idea of the long memory and how and how powerful it is to remember not only and to build the memory of not only your personal past, but also the, the, the past of your class, the working class, like, and to restitch those things that society would, and when I say society, I mean, like, the uh, overarching oppressive structures under which we live, like, would have us forget. In yeah. ending where our characters are standing, you know, effectively shoulder to shoulder with all of these ghosts that would have been forced, forced away, so powerful. Yeah. You know, as as John Berger puts it, having lived, the dead can never be inert. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you carry your ghosts with you, and it's it's kind of do you do you choose to acknowledge that? Do you choose to to recognize that life is lived uh, in in awareness of 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 what Berger calls the economy of the dead that that surrounds us, uh, or do you try and repress it because repression is is what causes the violence of ghosts? in the first place. So what, what else about the, the figure of the haunted house would you like to talk about as we, as we approach the close of today's episode? Well, I think we should talk about the fact that housing is in incredibly precarious. There's this kind of tension in the film 
where um, they want it to be, you know, bowlers constantly saying, you know, this this is our home. This is our home, and he he has this encounter with the apeth with the with the ghost, uh, and ends up like breaking holes in the walls with a hammer. Um, and when uh, Doctor Who comes round with a few other people <laughs> in the housing office, he basically says, "Well, this is they can kiss England goodbye." Mm-hmm. You know, housing is is in the contemporary moment incredibly precarious. Yeah, you know, there's there's a whole section on on the UK government's website about you know if you're homeless, you may not be deported. You know, if you're an asylum seeker but you've lost your home. Uh, you might be, you might, might be able to get some help, and it's like this idea of like trying to uh, help people or help anyone kind of try and find some security and stability when at the same time they're at the kind of mercy of the whims of this giant bureaucratic state, which has been systematically undercut by now over a decade of conservative austerity. Uh, so it is understaffed and under resourced to actually help people at all. You know, there's there's this really kind of important tension, right? This 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 desperate claim of ownership of like this is our home. It's it's not just a claim of ownership. It's not just stating a fact. It's sort of like trying to literally manifest something through almost through sheer will when mm-hmm. in fact, you know, Mark can come along and just go, "Yeah, I'm going to have to report this. Sorry." And, no, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Like, like, like that. <clears throat> the focalization of who owns this house is, I think, like so incredibly important to understanding the terror of this movie. Because under any reasonable circumstance, you know, Rial and Bull should own that home. That should be they should be comfortable and confident in their security of of a place to live. Just as yeah. as human beings, that should be kind of a thing we have. You know, but like there, there is no common space. It's all private now. It's all owned by someone. And the fact that like, you know, someone like Mark could come by and decide that they've been too loud or like there, there there's another really good scene right at the beginning where um, Rial speaks to Bowl in, in their native language. Right. And Mark, um, his ears immediately perk up and he's like, oh, what are you saying? What was that? What's going on? You know, like like it immediately raises concerns for him that they're trying to speak something other than English, you know, and it's like the, the fact that Bowl asserts that this is his home, right? Like like it is I, I think like a, a like like to, it's a small act, but it's also like the most scathing condemnation of colonialism and the way we treat housing under capitalism. Yeah. Or it's like when he goes to buy some new clothes and it's just in the background. You see, he walks into the store. There's a security guard who's drinking coffee and he's just on his phone. And as he walks past, you immediately see the, see the security guard just puts it down and just starts following him around the store. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yep. just, just, those, just, those little, just those little kind of subtle details to constantly drive home the idea that, like, you don't belong, you know. Even even as even as you're told, you know, shouldn't you be so grateful that that you know you've been you've been allowed to stay? You know, Mark's kind of casual, unthinking comments about being one of the good ones, 
you know, everything is designed to under, underscore how uh, vulnerable and contingent everything is. Yeah. No, I am. Absolutely. So what did, what did we, you think? Oh, go on. No, go on. Go on. What you oh, I was just going to ask you, what do you think of Rial's character? I think we've been talking a lot about Bowl. Well, I think if we're going to talk about Bowl, we have to talk about the kind of revelation, the big twist. Mm-hmm. Um, where he, he won't even let Rial say their daughter's name. Yeah. Right? Literally, literally forces his hand over her mouth. Um, and I think this ties back to survivor's guilt, right? Because it turns out that really, uh, Nyagak was, was not their daughter. She mm-hmm. pulled her out of the crowd and said, look, look, you got a child. You got to let me on as well. Yeah. And it's like this idea of, of to, to survive is not only to feel, feel the guilt of surviving when others don't, but is to feel the guilt of, you know, what does it, what, what would you do if survival was, was at stake? Mm-hmm. Would you do that? Yeah. Would you, would you do something that is kind of ethically, genuinely horrifying? You know, the, 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 the ghost, which tells them you take, you've taken a life that wasn't yours. There's a debt that has to be paid back. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of complicated feelings involved, right? You could go, well, it's just a film, but it's like knowing that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, just like me, who through the circumstances of being born in a, in, in a different country, which is a series of fairly arbitrary lines on, on pieces of paper, you know, uh, are forced to make unimaginable choices and put into situations that, that no person should have to try and live through. Uh, you, you get the feeling that there is, that the kind of underlying emotional motivation is guilt. And it's very kind of complex and almost irresolvable guilt. What about you? Uh, one thing, one thing that like I wish we had more time for. There's never enough time, you know. It's 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 that Twilight Zone episode. Time enough at last, you know. Like there's just never enough time to talk about horror yeah. movies, John. Um, one one thing I I found to be really interesting was that like it's it's interesting to see how. I think this movie has a good conversation about like the intersectionalities of discourse in it. Cause, cause we've been, we've been focused on colonialism here. And I think, you know, because it's really important and that's what a lot of the, you know, other critics chose to, or perhaps uh, involuntarily omitted. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, issues of patriarchy and, and like violence towards women are also like really, really, really important to understanding this this movie right like they they literally elect a, a, a random young woman in the crowd to be their daughter and kind of like forcibly coerce her into that like 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 bowl like physically silences real a couple of times and like the like there's just the framing that it's his house not their house not her house not something else like that like the way that the kind of like discursive framework of the movie is built it it wants us to like not only look at the issues of colonialism here but also look at the issues issues of patriarchy and how they like intersect in these issues right like i think it's it's important to see how these issues intersect and i think like the the vehicle of like 
these these two refugees coming to London together and then the their position in this haunted house is just like the haunted house is such a good vehicle for systemic discourses because like what is a house if not the embodiment of social systems yes absolutely you know absolutely uh i, I mean bol locks her in mhm you no know, he says you're crazy you, you know you you you're sick you 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 know you're going to ruin everything and literally imprisons her which again very very classic gothic trope right the the the, the the gothic hero who she sees ghosts and so she's locked away because she must be mad but it's uh it's real who is the one yeah. who, who who actually saves them both it just it just occurred to me that i think that i've gotten real and bull's name backwards this entire time oh right <laughs> whoops <laughs> Oh dear. Gonna have to fix that one in post. You know, if 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 Bol had kind of gone through that and, and let the uh, yeah. the Apath like rend his flesh, then that final scene is is oh is is just deliciously horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because he makes the choice of like, well, that's it's my guilt that's doing this, right? It's the debt that he owes, right? The debt, yeah. the life that wasn't his to take. Um. But how, how does one deal with guilt? You know, how do how do you how do you actually? I, I to me that final scene where um, Riel chooses to save him is is really really powerful. You know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Because it's not just a it's not just a monster fight, right? Is it? You know, if if the whole kind of motivating emotion is about guilt, then it's about the possibility of of the possibility of being forgiven. Right for 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 and uh, and working through a kind of cathexis for survivor's guilt. Ooh, I think cathexis winds up being really interesting to think about in terms of not only the position of the house, because the house in a way becomes this like object of cathexis for Rial, yeah, or for Bowl rather, and then like. Yeah, I don't know. Like it just occurred to me that that's a really good, a really good thing to think about. Sorry, I'm like lost in thought now, thinking about the house as as the object of cathexis. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think this 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 movie is is incredibly powerful and incredibly worth watching. Is there, is there anything else you'd want to say before we uh, disappear back into the ether? Uh, watch it. It's it's really good. It's it's on Netflix. It's it is a tight ninety minutes, but it's one of those films where. I feel like we could go on for another hour about it. You know, we could we could do a proper deep dive into the 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 history of the empire and the history of kind of fortress Europe and its its uh racist and neo-imperialist um uh, policies towards the most vulnerable. But I think we should, you know, uh we could we could wrap it up there and just and just say it's it's a, it's a great horror movie and it shows that horror where it when understood as being something that is directly tied to social reality is not just a way of kind of putting forward a critique right but it's about building kind of links of uh narrative solidarity right where you where you get to understand and experience 
what seems like a very truthful representation of the trauma and violence and horror of being forced to become an asylum seeker in this rainy fascist hellscape island. <laughs> but it's a chance to kind of, it's a chance to ha- to ha- to build a kind of link, those links of solidarity on a narrative level, which hopefully through a good kind of critique and understanding of what, what this film is trying to do can in a, in a small way lead to the links of solidarity being forged on a political level. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs> Real Bowl.